Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. My family and myself, my spouse, have been sick for the past week. And I had some other deadlines and some responsibilities. I teach Sunday school for the youth department at my church every other week. This was my week. So I, I just kept trying to do the next thing that had to be done and uh, then do all the transportation for my family that had to be done. Then I had to throw a birthday party. I'm just wiped out and I could not get a lesson prepared for the podcast. I write out every word every week because that's just my process. This week I could not do that. So I was talking to my daughter about, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I'm kind of short on time, but I want it to be, I don't want to skip it. You know, I want it to be helpful. And so she said, mom, you should just go to a Charles Spurgeon sermon. You love those so much and they're so encouraging and see what you can do with that. I thought about that. I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. I hadn't, I would never have thought of that on my own. I went home and just really mulled that over. And there was one that I know that I have read several times. Wasn't sure what volume it was even in, but I knew that I had taken some notes on it and actually made screensavers for my phone with it. It's the only one I'd done like that. It was so meaningful to me. And so I knew what the topic was and I wanted to look at it again. And I thought, you know what? This will be so good for me anyway because of where I am in my life right now. I need the reminder myself. So I pulled it out. I located it in the volumes and I think it's going to be really helpful. So it comes from the classic story of Esther right when Mordecai is approaching her to tell her Don't think that you're going to be the survivor, you know, just because you're the queen, but God might bring deliverance from somewhere else, but it could be that you're here for such a time as this. That classic passage is what he's going to talk about. What I want to preface this with is the message is going to be God has ordained certain works for you. And certain works for me and he's put a longing that's in our heart that usually exceeds what we think we're able to do and he's going to encourage us to reach for that but that's different than what we see in society right now I think one of our greatest struggles you and I have to fight against and I'm serious that we need to fight against it because it is a serious evil is doing it with ourselves is trying to be more than we are, pulling it out of ourself that's totally self-absorbed, wanting to make a name for ourselves that's not centered on God and discipleship. It's not anything about Jesus. It's all about you and it's all about me. That is what society, even in Christian circles or in the name of Christianity, we are being encouraged to pursue. We can put the verses on our page. We can do all kinds of things that look sort of godly, 
but it's not godly. What Spurgeon is going to do is reach down into the scripture and pull it out, and it's absolutely God-centered. That is the only proper and good way of moving beyond what is within us. That's the only way it can be done, because sometimes living beyond ourselves looks very much like it's beneath us. Sometimes it is in a serving capacity. Uh, I read this article today by the Gospel Coalition. They were writing about a new book that's coming out by Rachel Hollis. She wrote, you probably are familiar with it, the book called Girl, Wash Your Face. Super popular. It's on all the main book stands in Christian circles and uh, otherwise I think it was published by Thomas Nelson which is a Christian publisher and basically she has written another book coming out after that and it's called Girl Stop Apologizing and that's the one that they were writing about but this first one I haven't read but what I did was because she's real personable she's a real person So I downloaded her podcast. I listened to the first one that I could find. It was just her talking. And then the second one was an excerpt from her book. It was like a chapter from that first book. And my assessment of it was it's good writing. It is very relatable. But it's not leading me in discipleship. It's not a discipleship book. It's basically a self-help book. And if you're wanting to start a business and you're wanting to be encouraged as a female and how to lift yourself up, that's a good book to have. But it's not, to me, a Christian book. Even though she might be a Christian, that's not anything what it is about. So I just never listen to it again. It's not something I want to spend my time on. What the Gospel Coalition is pointing out is that the perspective that she is presenting is exactly this idea that I'm warning us against, is this idea that we are embracing that is to become something greater than ourselves by pulling it out of ourselves. That's where it's coming from. That's where it should originate. And that is not God-honoring. That has nothing to do with God. That is self-motivated. And we need to very much stay clear of that in and of ourselves, no matter what resource it comes from. And what we want to do is focus on the Word of God, what it says about us, and what it says about Jesus, and align ourselves to His purposes for our lives and the direction He has for us. So what I want to do is, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to hit some high points. These are things I felt like were important, so I'm basically going to look at the sermon and walk you through it. He breaks it down into four parts, I believe four different words. And so I'm going to take each word and then just read you some highlights from it. He starts out the sermon. He talks about how it could apply to nations and then to the church at large. And then he says, but I want to address this to individuals, to Esther's in the room. And I really love the way he brings it out. He says, I will follow Mordecai's task and speak alone to Esther. That is to say, to each one who may happen to be here, to whom God has entrusted opportunity, talent, and position. 
I would urge them to remember that there is something for each believer to do, a work which he cannot delegate to another, a task which it is his privilege to be permitted to undertake, which it will be to his solemn disgrace and detriment if he does not execute, but which will be to his eternal glory under God if he be found faithful in it. The gospel assures us that the great householder has committed talents to every man according to his several ability. Our hope of success this morning in our sermon shall lie in your individualizing yourselves and hearing the voice of the Spirit of God saying to each one, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So he lays out these words. The first word is hearken. And he is addressing this question that comes to Esther that's basically, do you think that just because you are the queen that you will escape the destruction of the Jews? And so he he asks several different questions like, do you think just because you are a believer in Christ that you can separate yourself from the work of the Lord in the people around you or in your church or in things like that? So he's trying to get us to think about being together with the purposes of God and of the mission of the gospel, which is so different than what I was talking about earlier, being self-driven and trying to bring yourself up into a position of good standing and making yourself look better and be better. This is totally different. This is gospel-centered. This is all about the kingdom of God and us being a part of it that being the mission. So that's how he starts out. But one thing I will say, he mentions, God doesn't need us. And that's theologically important. He says, for your humiliation, that God can do it without you. Enlargement and deliverance will arise to his people from another place. It becomes not by us. God can do it without us. In fact, he reminds us that he used his own arm to work salvation for us. He doesn't need us to accomplish his purposes. And he says this so powerfully. He says, he will affect his purpose. He will fetch home his banished. He will gather together his scattered sheep. He will cause the earth to be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. And if we do not gather in the wanderers or spread the knowledge of his graces, the work will be done by more faithful men. I think we really need to remember that. Secondly, that we have to be prepared because if we're not prepared, he's not going to use us. He says, the Lord may decline to use us if we're not prepared in such a time as this to do our utmost and to lay ourselves out for the cause of truth and holiness. So we need to be ready. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. And this is, this is the one that got me. How will you bear the disgrace if ever it comes upon you of having suffered your golden opportunities to be wasted? He says, times they do not tarry and tides do not wait. And if we do not avail ourselves of them while they are with us, our descendants may lament or neglect. He says, it's not just a now problem. This could be a generational problem. And then he gets sort of personal about it and talks about you could waste your raising of your children until they turn into adults and he kind of draws it there. And you can see this in society as it happens, but you can take this to a now problem in that you miss the opportunity now that you believe God has laid upon you and it, it becomes a problem later. So the tides do not wait. He says, 
Let every Esther resolve that she will never bring this ban upon her name. Let every man, woman, and even child among us, knowing the Lord, feel that the vows of the Lord are upon us and that by imperative necessity, we must serve according to our capacity, the cause of God and truth. That's very different than doing things for a self-seeking motive. If we perish through our zeal for the Lord of hosts, it will be grand thus to lose our lives. That is very different than what the world is telling us to do. The second word he suggests is this word consider. He says, consider to what some of you have been advanced because Esther is in a particular position and he wants her to consider that position. So he talks about some of you have gained a knowledge of God and a knowledge of Christ and you've had experiences and a walk with the Lord that has created a joy through difficult circumstances and that is for a reason and you no longer need to just sit there. You need to utilize that for the kingdom and he's really encouraging people to do that. And then he says, I want you to consider why the Lord has brought you where you are. Do you think he's done it for your own sake? No. Does he intend this all merely that you may practice self-indulgence? No. God's work is like a net of many meshes, and these are all collected with each other. We are all links in the same chain and cannot move without moving each other. We're all connected, and it takes everybody moving and breathing for kingdom purposes for it all to work. And he wants us to see that. We're not individuals just doing our own thing, which is what the world is telling us we should do to get ahead. And then he says in this word, consider, consider at what time it is that we have thus advanced. He said, you have been instructed in the faith in a time when unbelief is rampant. This is in the 1880s. Unbelief is rampant then, unbelief is rampant now. This is a very timely statement. He says, you have been entrusted with talent in a time when the multitudes are perishing for lack of knowledge. And he's calling people to use it. He says, why are you placed where you are? Brother, your inevitable answer must be that God has put you where you are for some good purpose. Which purpose must be connected with his own glory and with the extension of his kingdom in the world. It's not for you. It's not for me. It is for his purposes. And then he uses the word again, consider also, I pray you, under what very special circumstances you have come where you are. It's very individualized. And then he says, I beg you to consider with what singular personal adaptations you are endowed for the work which God has called you, not only in your preparation, but you are uniquely prepared for it, uniquely. And then he says this, he says, I believe you are endowed with special capacity for a certain work so that no one is so fitted for it as yourself. You are a key to a lock, which no other key will fit so well. God has prepared you for the work which you are appointed. And then he quotes a scripture. Is it not written? Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Each laborer for the Lord has his proper tools found him. God does not, like Pharaoh, require us to make bricks without straw, nor to fight without weapons, 
or to build without a trial. The Lord provides lamps and oil and wedding garments for all who are called to the bridegroom's midnight banquet. He's basically saying he gives you what you need to do exactly what he's called you to do. And then he encourages us in a third word, aspire. He says, who knows whether thou hast come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So he encourages us, but this is in a godly manner. This is not to aspire for your own personal gain, but to aspire to godly purposes. He says, rise to the utmost possible height, fulfill your calling to its loftiest degree. Not only do all that you are sure you can do, but aim at something which is yet up among the questions. Say to yourself, who knows what I can do in the Lord? Who knows what I can do in the Lord? Who knows? Does anybody know what God may do by you? Does anybody know what capacities slumber within your bosom? Nobody knows to the contrary. I love that. I cannot tell but what God may bless you in this entire nation, he says. Nobody will dare say that he cannot. I cannot tell but what God may bless you, my friend, to that part of the city in which you live, even though you may be deeply conscious of his great needs and of your own insufficiencies. Who can tell what the Lord can or will do? Therefore, strive after it. Aspire. Nobody knows the possibilities surrounding any man should God be pleased to use him. He says, bite your lip through rather than have it thought that you doubt the power of the Almighty. I love that. He says, some beloved brethren are here who have done a good deal and the Lord has blessed them, but their work is heavy and their hearts are weary. By the anointing which has given you the kingdom, I trust that you will not be weary in well-doing. Pluck up courage, for the grand future is before you. Be content to be a living sacrifice. This is where it really gets different than what the world is telling us to do in striving and reaching beyond ourselves. Be content to be a living sacrifice. Say with Esther, if I perish, I perish. I am content to give myself up for such a cause. Come life, come death, I am all His own. If I die in my Lord's work, I die content. You do not know yourself. And then he uses himself as an example. He says, I had no idea that God would do all this with me. He said, if the Lord could use me, he could use you. Only stand in a waiting posture and say, here I am. Use me and you shall see things which you dare not expect. Aspire to great things for God. The last word is confide, confide. If thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this, be confident that thou art safe. So he's using the word confide in a way we might not use it. He's using it in, as confidence in this aspect. He says, fear not the risk. So Esther had to go before the king and risk dying because she went before him unrequested. He says, if this is what God has in mind for you to do, it's not really a risk. Do it fast and pray. Do your due diligence, but go before him anyway. Fall back on his mercy and his confidence. He says, a holy confidence in the divine purpose, instead of making men grow stolid and idle, may prove to be one of the mightiest impulses to the heroic life. Settle it in your mind that the Lord has called you to the work and then advance 
without question or fear. I needed that. Put your hand to the plow and pause not. Do the work with your might. And this is the last page. And I've, I've like highlighted the entire page. So let me just go with it and we will finish for the day. Do not stand asking how. Do it as you can. Do not stand asking when. Do it directly. Do not say, but I am weak. The Lord is strong. Do not say, but I must devise methods. Do not concoct schemes or tarry or perfect your methods. Fling yourself upon the work with all your might. Load your cannons with rough bits of rock or stone from the road if nothing better comes to hand. Ram them in with plenty of powder and apply the fire. When you have nothing else to hurl at the foe, place yourself in the gun. Believe me, no shot will be more effectual than the hurling of your whole being into the conflict. There was a man who strove into the House of Commons for what he thought would be a great boon to seamen, but he could not prevail. At last, he broke through all the rules of the house and acted like a fanatic. And when everybody saw that the man was so in earnest that he was ready to faint and die, they said, we must do something. And it was done. An enthusiasm which overpowers yourself is likely to overpower others. Do not fail from want of fervor. Never mind if men think you're crazy. When you are overwhelmed yourself, the flood of zeal will bear all opposition before it. When you become so fanatically insane as to be absorbed by a passion for the glory of God, the salvation of men, the spread of truth, and the reclaiming of the fallen masses... There shall be about you the truest sanity and the mightiest force. May you feel such a passion concerning missions today. May you feel that the gospel must be preached to all nations. May you feel that impulse at this moment while we worship God by giving our contributions to this cause. I'm telling you, this sermon has changed my life. I hope it has been an inspiration to you. I know this was weird. I know it was different. I know it was very imperfect in my deliverance of it today. Let me encourage you. I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you today, but I know He speaks powerfully, even in weird situations like this. And I pray it is exactly what you needed to hear, exactly the way you needed to hear it, and that you go out with gangbusters and do what the Lord is encouraging you to do with fervor. I'll see you next time. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing our resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.